our backup multi-track recorder is recording. Okay. You know what time it is, Sam? It's time for the audio podcast. Woo! Audio <laughs> podcast time. This is show number 32. Would today. have been a good show 10. It would have been a good show 10. It's the 24th of October, 2011. Hello, everybody. Um, Hello. I'm Scott Hewitt. I'm joined by... Sam Freeman. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good. That's great so, stuff. Um, okay. Hang on, my room's falling apart around me. No way. Alright, okay. right, I'm just gonna get the first item and start here. Um, so there you go. I'm just, I'm just I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in. I've got it ready. It's the DV twenty four seven Expo. So I'll be calling it. It's the DV Computer Audio Seven it's Expo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, um, is is it DV as in Digital Village? Yes, I was just yep. trying to spot that. Just quickly. And these are the music tech retailers down based down in London. I think they have more than one store actually, but their main the, the main store is that is in East London, yeah, in right. Romford, and they've got on the third and fourth of November a two days of free events. So you have to register to get entry, but the entry is free, and they've got all sorts of workshops and demonstrations. Yeah, it's pretty cool actually. Um, everybody's there. Apogee, Personius, uh, Paul White from uh, Sound on Sounds, Steinberg. Reason Six, yeah. well, we've already played with Reason Six, but if you want to play more with Reason Six, <laughs> you gotta check out, go check that out as well. Yep. Hey, that's there, some pretty cool stuff, actually. Yep, Ableton, yep. So and, and some give, some giveaways and some uh, discounted pricing as well. So that's you know, they're good yep. reasons to go as well. I like it. Yes. Yeah, so you got to, um, it's free to get in, but you have to register beforehand. It's an easy. It seems to be a fairly simple. Give us your name and your email address, and you're registered sort of job. So that's kind of yeah. Nice. I think they. I think it's just to. They know how many people come in and stop it being mobbed if they know you're coming ahead of time, so... Yeah, fair enough. Cool. Sh shall we charge on to our next item, then? Yep, so this is a um, story from Ceremony, and they're the makers of Melodyne, and they're talking about Audio Random Access, a pioneering okay. extension for audio plugin interfaces. Nice. So the thinking here is that... For the type of stuff that Melodyne does, they yep. need to know what's going on with the whole track. The real-time processing, which is done by plugins usually, by VST, AU, you know, they, they take in a, a buffer of audio and they spit out the processed version of that. Yep. What they're suggesting is giving your plugins access to the entire track so they can have a look across the whole thing and... They don't need to make their own copy of it to be able to do advanced things. To put it in musical context, I suppose. That's off the top of my head. I read this a while ago. I'll have another look down and see what they're actually saying. Yeah, well, this, I hadn't actually, I've just been flicking through it here. And this, this actually is related to another story that we're going to talk about, actually, as well. Yeah. So we should maybe, maybe talk about both of them at the same time. So the, the other story is that Personas have released version two of Studio One. Yeah, part of the part of the kind of big fanfare behind that release is the integration of, um, in the, the integration of some of the kind of plugin tools by um, Selman here. Yep. So yeah, the ARA is obviously it requires that the host is doing a lot of the work on that. I suppose it's got it's a two way thing. So currently, the only digital audio workstation doing that is this new version of the Presonus Studio One. And yeah, they're hoping that others will follow. Yeah, because the the integrate. If we jumped into Personius uh, Studio One version two, which is also in our show notes for today, 
Um, you, it, yeah. yeah, you'll see that what they've got is the, the integration of Melodyne into the environment. So you can actually be in Melodyne, you can actually be in, in Studio One, bring up Melodyne, go into it, work with it as if you were working natively inside Melodyne. And then when you're done, you can kind of get it. It will render the plugin to play it. But the minute that you wanted to edit it again, you can just kind of go back in and it breaks it back out and you can kind of, you know, do more, do the pitch corrections again or the variations that you want to do. It's it's kind of seamlessly put in place. And I'll be honest, when I looked at the Studio One, when I was looking at Studio One notes, because I saw you put the ARA there, so I, I thought, Sam, I know what that's about. Yeah. When I looked at the Studio One one, I saw the kind of Melodyne plugin and I thought to myself, that, that isn't a basic, that isn't a standard plugin technology there. That isn't, you know, VST no. or AU, that's something else. And I presume they've probably gone a, you know, gone like a live route where you build something in collaboration with the other party and, you know, and do it like that. Where mm -hmm. it's interesting to see that uh, what the, the approach has actually been taken is let's propose a new plugin methodology, plugin standard, and let's work with that to achieve these things generally onwards. I think that's an interesting, a good approach, actually. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, it is. I think, I mean, yeah, it's certainly, I hadn't, yeah, even when I was reading, I mean, I came from the other side and I read about that and, yeah, looking down at the other new features of Studio One, it looks, it looks like it might, I might even, I've never tried it, you know, so it's something I would be tempted at having a go with. Hmm. Uh, do you know anybody who works for Studio One? Not that I know of. Um, no, it's um, it, it's important that we don't attack all doors, obviously. But well, we've we've I've never heard anything bad about it. No, no, I've, I've never heard anything bad about it. I've never really met anybody who seems to have adopted it as their as their kind of you know of choice mm. option. I wonder if there's um because presonus I associate more with audio interfaces and things like that. So, and those interfaces are generally very good as well. Yes, I have worked with those and the mixing and stuff that comes with them. They were one of the... It's very flexible, very powerful. I actually yeah. think at the music and production show earlier on this year, I think I actually had a play with Studio One. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to think back. But I think I did actually, because I remember playing with some Personas hardware in a door and being shown some really cool integration between them all by the, by the guy. And it... It would make sense for it to have been Studio One. I'm just thinking. I don't. I can't think of anybody else who would have demoed their door on and on Persona's hardware. If that makes sense. Mm. So yeah. Huh. But well, that's cool. It look. It looks cool anyway. Uh, the version two definitely looks cool, and um, has a whole load of really interesting features in it, which I think are quite quite interesting. What 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 I find particularly interesting, actually, and this is going to come on to one of our never one of the other stories we'll talk about in a minute, is just how so many features that seem as if they would be obvious aren't always in the doors that you think they're in yeah well i always you i always get this with new features not i mean well the melodyne is perhaps an exception to that but when people say the, the things that are now going to be available in their new version it always it's always always a case of well why aren't you doing that already kind of mm. and that's not just in audio software you know even like operating systems and things can can be you know or you've yeah, which just points out really obvious things, but I guess that's the way that our perception of the technology moves on. Somebody says something that might be all shiny and new, and they've worked really hard to make it possible, but it's kind of, well, of course you should be doing that. It's, I don't know, a bit, a, a bit tangential there, maybe. Yeah, definitely, yeah. De definitely so, I think. it's. Uh... 
So what were you actually going to talk about, Scott, before I went off on one? No, no, that was a, that was a good go off on one. I'm, um, what was next? Um, Alessi, five new pieces of gear? Yeah, so the link from the wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk takes you to the e- the HTML version of their newsletter of the month. Okay, yeah. Um, because, well, they've got so many pieces of news that were kind of worth talking about. There. They've got a new nano verb. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> they've got um, Multimix 6Q now available. Yeah. We've got Mike Tube Duo Solo. And solo, so the new um, tube preamps there, yeah. and um, new compressor, all, and all, all shipping. shipping now. I've obviously gone straight for the nanoverb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's, it's just nice. Isn't it? See, the, the nanoverb is that incredible piece of kit, isn't it? It's like the... What, what I find funniest about nanoverb, actually, there's one nanoverb I see on a fairly regular basis, which is in a rack installer, one of the places we sometimes do the show from. I don't know if you, you noticed this nanoverb yet. But what's really funny about it is that the piece of hardware, it, it's in a rack, and the other half of the half of the wood for the rack is taken up by a 4U item. Okay. So this is so the nanoverb's been mounted in a piece of kind of fronting metal, which puts it in the middle of a 4U half. Yep. So it's just kind of alone by itself in this huge kind of piece of metal that surrounds it. And obviously it, it gives the impression that the nanoverb is ironically named and is actually this massive 4U half. For you, huh? yeah. But in fact, it's this tiny little thing which kind of hangs out at the back of this massive chunk of metal, and I think it's fantastic. <laughs> but the nanoverb was always, I'm saying, I was always surprised at how well, how how passable it sounded when you compared it against the cost and the price. So, yep. And I mean, I wonder if they're going to do, because nanoverb, the first one when it was out, was part of a whole series of similarly shaped sized things. They've got the yeah. um, limiter compressor somewhere, which is a it's supposed to compress a limiter, but with mm. limited controls on it, it, as you might expect from the nano series. So it's kind of like it does the job, but it's stripped down. You know, it's it's compressing, yeah. but then when you crank it up, it starts limiting, sort of thing. Which is kind of true of all compressors, but did it in a more a, a more pleasing way, perhaps. Yeah, yeah maybe. maybe. I don't know. I can't comment. I've not used it for a few years actually. I've I've I found it in a box, and I've been meaning to plug it in again. I shall I shall do so. Cool. <laughs> Oh, that, that, well, that, that's great stuff for sure, and I'm glad we've uh, glad we got that there. It's just a, a real bit of joy that Nanoverb Two is here. I like I like that scenario. Man. It's, <laughs> it's very satisfactory. So <laughs> more new things from other people and brings to our first number ten story. Oh yes, because the whole story. Oh, yes, of course, because this should have been a number ten show. Oh, so Pro Tools ten. Pro Tools ten. Um, well, yep. Yeah, we we commented that other people had commented that. They had actually leaked out a few kind of rumours prior to this happening, but now it's happening. It's 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 better, faster, and easier than ever. So they're saying, isn't it great? That's just all the descriptors you'd want there. <laughs> if you're Daft Punk. If you're Daft Punk, yeah. It, um, <laughs> there's a bit of me. So, all right, let's visit this on two sides. I'm going to quickly just remark on the fact that, well, actually, wait a minute. I'm going to check. I'm just going to check what the uh, what the operating system requirements of Virtual Spanner. Okay, so it supports Lion. So there you go. I just wanted to just wanted to check that briefly. It does support Lion. I, one of the main response that I've actually seen online is a whole lot of people whinging about the fact that Nine and Lion support only just made it, and suddenly Pro Tools 10's turned up, and a whole lot of people are talking as if this this is the beginning of an accelerated Pro Tools cycle. Which uh, I I don't know where you... they I don't know where they've got that from, but. 
I don't know. There are some really cool features, though, aren't there, in this? There are. Yeah. Um, I like that. So should we we should talk about Pro Tools 10, I think, first of all, shouldn't we, as, as, as the starter sort of style? And then, okay, okay. Let, let, let's just focus on Pro Tools 10. So c some cool things you get is the ability to, uh, to vary the gain on audio sample, on audio parts directly yep. in the browser, so directly in, in the editor, so you can just go click on it and then make the whole the whole section louder or quieter, which, again, is a feature I presumed was already there, but apparently wasn't, and understandably, very people are very excited about that. So that's cool. Yep. Um, like that. I'm, I'm trying not to compare to other those. Um, what else have we got? <laughs> the, the fades? Can, how about the, the fades are now real, so rather than rendering Rather than rendering every fade out as an audio file, and then playing back the audio file, rather than rendering every fade out like that, it now renders the fades in real time. Yep. Again, um, I presumed that was something that did already. Yeah. Apparently not. Okay, here's something that's probably that is good actually, okay. which um. Well, is, no, these are all good things. They're all good things, but without saying. <sighs> yes. Okay. I understand what you're saying. Okay. I'm 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 being as diplomatic as I can. Um. Use, but this, I think this is good. Use of multiple audio formats in the session. So that's awesome. I think that is good. That's that's something which I don't, I don't, I haven't read that and thought. Oh, do you mean like in X or Y? That's something which. Well, maybe it does happen elsewhere, but I've never noticed it. So. Thirty-two bit float, all the way through the session as well. So there's stacks and stacks of bandwidth, um, stacks and stacks of dynamic range internally. So that's going to make it really, really easy to really push things and. You you won't so much have to panic about what's going on at in interim let interim points inside the inside the door. You'll just be able to be concerned about input and output. Yep. You know? So I think that's a great that's a really great feature as well. They're saying you can get the sound of System Five um, EQ with the new Avid Channel Strip plugin, which yeah. is be something new. Pretty cool. Let, let's not forget that it, it continues the support made available in Pro Tools Nine, later versions of Pro Tools Nine, so it will run on any audio any hardware you want it to run on. Yep. Which I, which I think is a really well at the time I said it was an incredible addition, and I still agree with that. I think it's a great choice. They've made down a great option to, to provide people that kind of flexibility. It's really cool. Yeah, I'm, I was quite impressed to be honest. You know, um, there there's a built uh, they've got a Sibelius score editor built in there as well now, because obviously Avid have a, have ownership on that as well, don't they? So, mm -hmm. so there's the integration of that. The, for me, this is the product that, you know. You can kind of see where Avid's been going as a company, and while I kind of made the joke that Pro Tools 9 with line support was a fairly recent thing, and now suddenly Pro Tools 10's turned up, at the same point, it strikes me that Pro Tools 10 is actually the product that Avid wanted to release. Yeah. And it looks it looks awesome. It, like I think it looks really, really well done and looks very polished. There you go. There you go. Shall we just quickly... Um, we should quickly mention the kind of actually what I would refer to as the um, the hardware... Hardware Pro Tools system as well, because there's yep. some changes well, been done there as well. So I think they refer to it too as Pro Tools HD, isn't it? So uh, well, Tools... HDX now. HDX. Is it? Oh, of course, it's ten. Oh. Yeah. So it's it's HDX because there was Pro Tools HD, and obviously before what was Pro, what was before Pro Tools HD? What was it called then? Pro Tools HD know. was the kind of blue face stuff. Um, yes, that makes sense. Now, one of the big things is the Pro Tools HDX stuff is all switched to 64-bit on okay. it, internally on the cards. So what it does mean is that they're essentially end of lifeing the Blueface Pro Tools hardware. So that's like, I, 
and I haven't obviously I don't I don't have any of that hardware myself that I use on a regular basis. You know, I've remarked about Pro Tools many times, but it, there is that one thing here, which is that for people who are working with hardware systems, then this is like a new architecture has appeared, and this is you know other stuff will now become end of life because of the newer hardware architecture. But then that's fair enough. I'm saying they they're physically you know that. They're physically wanting to push the capabilities of the system, and to do that, you need more processing power and different architectures, and hence they have new yeah. hardware cards offering more processing power on a different architecture. So, yep. it makes sense, doesn't it? Taking advantage of what's what's available. So, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's... Um, yeah, I haven't got much to say on this because it wasn't in the show notes directly, and I don't want to load any new tabs because my flaky internet connection and all that. <laughs> well, well, let me, a couple of the other cool features um, that we didn't remark about, but they have the session caching now. So you can actually cache an entire session into your local RAM. Wow. Which, and, and that's a really cool feature. I'm saying the, one, of the, one of the models that I, one of the kind of projected models of this, which I think really shows you that Avid are really focused on the commercial production space, which I think is fair enough for them, fair enough for them to be focused on. Um, they were saying how you could now have like the audio session could be sitting on some sort of central server available to an entire production house mm -hmm. and then you can say right I'm going to open it at which point it will load the entire session into your local RAM so it will now become you know it will, once it's in there it becomes instantaneous to jump around it to move stuff around to edit it yep. to do all that sort of stuff and then when you're done you can do the save which point it dumps it all back onto that one central location so it's not facilitating collaborative editing like people working, multiple people working on the same file in different places and kind of linking their edits together. That would be awesome, by the way. But, that, I, well, but yeah, what it is doing is giving the ability for, you know, people in different rooms in the same building to be able to work at high speed, you know, sharing the session. So you can imagine it's like, right. I'm going to do some edits as the, as the Foley guy, and then I'm going to push it back across, and the person putting the music score can you know, have a look at it, doing what they're doing, and when they're done, they can send it back, and you can yep. move it between the spaces a lot quicker than if you were trying to shift, you know, a massive file across the network and wait for it all to appear and go back to places like that, so. I was quite impressed with that, projects, They've also, one of the other things that's new on here is the um, the extra long format for um, up to for 24-hour timelines. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know, that jumped out as me or something unusual, but again, that's, you know, when you're talking about Big productions, then that's where that kind of thing like it's more useful. Mm. Um, up up to two hundred and fifty six channels in. Um, channels in and out there. Sorry, so that's a lot of I/O, isn't it? Really, if you think it's, it's yeah, of, <laughs> it's a lot of I/O. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I think, you know, I I know that in many ways we've kind of we we kind of joke about you know Pro Tools and Avid at times and. I hope people realize that we, we make the show entertaining for people, don't we? I'm saying that's part of what we're trying to do. So we, we make the show entertaining. We hope you kind of enjoy it. But I think I should, I'd like to bring a bit of clarity in here. I think Avid and Pro Tools is doing a really good job of targeting at the very high-end production facility people and providing them a set of tools that nobody else is providing them. And I think they're doing that really well. And I think if the business is focusing on that, it's not surprising that things like Lion support for... Pro Tools 9 running any generic hardware isn't quite prioritized in the way that people might think it is. And yet, having said that, another great thing they're doing is making Pro Tools available to 
entry level people by supporting any hardware and yep. yep so i mean you know if people the so the people can get into it because it is an industry standard and so yeah, definitely so, yeah. The industry workers of tomorrow need to get in at some point, and so being able to do that at home on a budget is definitely something that they're right to support. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I feel we've really brought some balance to our uh, Pro Tools coverage today, which I'm really happy about. <laughs> so with that, shall we move on? Shall we... Okay, then. Okay. Before we say something we don't want to say. How about, um, we talked about Personas already, Studio One version 2. So we should talk about C Sound for Live, maybe. Do you want to talk about C Sound for Live? We could. Maybe we could just dig ourselves a new hole and say, like, <laughs> so who uses C Sound? But I think actually a lot of people do use C Sound still. Well, first of all, who uses C Sound? So basic C Sound is a is, is a fairly old language where you can basically design a synth and t using text, using the, well, you write the text and the text is interpreted, and hence it builds a synth from it, and then you can play the synth using media whatever commands you want to, and Hence, yep. you get to do stuff, and that that's kind of cool. Um, so we I mean, we can ex expand that a little bit further and yeah, say yeah. it's historical. So we know we're talking about all the stuff you can do in real time now, and the idea of loading an entire session into RAM. Well, computers weren't always this fast or this powerful, yeah. and in the olden days, you would write your you could write in C sound your instrument as one big long coded text file, and then you have another big long coded text file which was a score which said how to use. That, those instruments, yeah, of course, and yeah. then you would hit go, sit back and wait, and then it would at the end you'd have a rendered piece of audio that you could then listen to. Yep. So this is this is pre real time stuff, but very powerful because of that. Definitely so. Yeah. And here what we're seeing is a fusion between that and some something like live, which is all about kind of real time, real time performance, isn't it? Yeah. So. This, they're describing this as, so it's a set of plugins, and I have to confess I haven't quite got my head around exactly what it is they're offering, to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about how much I want to... Okay, I, I've had a little bit of a read, and I have a little suspicion about this, actually, because if you, if you go to the require if you go to csound, csoundforlife.com, and in there there's the requirements, it tells you about what you need. So, obviously, you know, I had a look. And in there, it, it tells me, you know, it gives me my perspective of the machine and stuff. But it talks about the required software. Now, obviously, I require Ableton Live. Yeah. And I was interested to see that I also needed Max for Live. Okay? Okay. So I need Max for Live as well. And I thought to myself, I wonder why I need Max for Live to do C-Sound for Live. Because obviously, the for Live is because it's running in Live. Mm -hmm. And then it hit me. Because I had a look at the, the download here. And it appears that what's actually happening is that it's actually the C-Sound tilde object running inside the max for live element, which I think is what's actually doing the C-Sound synthesis. Fair enough. Fair enough. So in that case, this actually almost feels as if it's a... I, I haven't been doing a lot of work with live recently, and I certainly at no point attempted to use the C-Sound tilde object in live. <laughs> but I do wonder, I'm, I'm not sure how much of an actual announcement this actually is, because if it turns out that the C-Sound tilde object worked in live, worked in inside Max for Live and you could just go and put it there, then surely that's just that's what all that's happened is somebody's pointing out the fact that you can put an object inside Max for Live inside Live. 
Yeah, so we have C sound, which is a historically relevant and still powerful tool, which has been ported into a Max MSP object. And Max MSP now links into Max for Live, so you've got the C sound into the object, into the link, into Live. Yeah. But Maybe. they've packaged it up very nicely. That looks fit. They but say they, they don't detail? need to know anything about. No, no knowledge of C sound is necessary. They say you just, you know. Open the plugin and click the about button if you want to know what's going on underneath. And and if not, the go. stuff's all there. They have um, they, they have pre-written examples are available, and all that sort of material. And obviously, there's a whole mountain of C sound resources there with synth classes already built and all that sort of stuff. It, it already there, ready to go. So, I, I think it's a great a great i I think it's a really great idea and a really great product, but. And I may have a misunderstanding as to what's happening in the back end of it, back end, back end of it. But from reading what appears, you know, from reading the kind of download situation, that's what it appears to me to be. So there you go. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah. yeah. Well, otherwise, yeah, I, I think it's great though. Um, I, yeah. I, some listeners to the show may be aware that I do a lot of stuff in Chuck, which is a te another text language. So I'm actually a big fan of text languages. I really. Hey, is there a Chuck Tilda object? There is a Chuck Tilda object, and yes, I Max, am. You should do. You should do Chuck for live. I am actually planning on uh, playing with one of the, um, yeah, playing with <laughs> Ableton for live, and trying to put Chuck inside the live environment and see what happens. So, watch this space for a, a very poorly put together website. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're talking about text languages, um, let's talk okay. about something that isn't a text language, which because I think that'd be fun. Um, the Max Six Beater is now on a public release. I think. I think what you mean is while we're talking about Max, <laughs> isn't that? Well, isn't I could have gone way? that way, but I thought <laughs> as we were talking about text languages, we could talk about a graphical no. language as well. Yeah. So the Max Six Beater is here. Um, we've all known it was on the way. I think we all suspected its arrival based on the expo that was happening last week. Yeah. So and it's arrived. It has now. I'm. I'm really. Uh, yeah, I've missed the trick. I haven't. I, I have done. I, have managed to download it, but have not had a player. My entire Mac has been reinstalled to baseline zero-ness this week, and it's all been a bit so, of a catch-up game. But So how about, we'll just mention its existence, Yep. and next week we'll come back. We'll come back with a little bit more to say about Mac, the Mac 6 Peter. Yes. And I'll tell you what, let's extend an invitation. So if you're enjoying the show, and you're reasonably up-to-date, i.e. you listen to the show before next Monday, yeah. Then, and you've got something you want to say about the Max Six Speeder? Let us know, and we're we'll have like a, you know, yeah, we might get some other people on. How about that? That seems like a good idea. I yeah. I downloaded it, opened it, was like, oh, it kind of looks a little bit different again, and then had some other things to actually do with my thing. So I did this instead. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we talk about our two uh, larger items? Well, they're not larger items. Let's we got two items just to have a little chat about. We can move through them as quickly as you want to, or yeah, we well, let's. I Let's have a look. Then. So the next, the first one on the list then is the case for piracy. Here we go. Dun 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 dun, and all that. I think the, the case for piracy is actually from an Amer from an Australian point of view, which I thought was interesting because yep. we don't get a lot of that. And the thing that was particularly interesting for me about it was the fact that um, it, it's actually not it isn't initially focused at the music industry. It's actually talking about other industry, other industries and other content creators and the approaches they take. And then it talks yep. about the fact the music industry goes nuts about this on a regular basis. And then it gets it get it gets to the end. I'd suggest it's worth a read because so much of 
so much of this discussion is American centric. Yeah. And this is a non American centric look at it, which is useful, which I think is useful. Definitely. It was quite it was refreshing after I, it, at first it was disorienting that disorientating that um yeah, because like you say, I don't read a lot of Australian perspectives on these things and so yeah, I'm quite used to reading American. I've got like you know built-in filters in my mind that when people talk about it, I've kind of like got this mental idea of how that relates to the situation in the UK, which is where I am. But yeah, it was good for that reason. And I've just something I didn't did not notice when we were, when I read it this week, but that I've just noticed now is that they do not mention software. Just that that is omitted, is it not? Yeah, but, they they don't mention software actually, do they? No, they t they've talked about television and sports events and movies the, and, and music mm. Mm. but then software is I, I guess the software issue is a bit the problem with software is that you tend to have copyright but then there's also the whole kind of EULA licensing as well out there and all those sort of problems which kind of complicate things a little bit more don't they I, I think from the point of view of this article yep. the, the main driving points behind it I think for me are actually very clear which was first of all the way that the content creating content creators and the relationship they have with the distribution people is going, you increasingly find yourself in scenarios where material isn't available for people to watch. Okay. Like they, they can't, they literally just can't get access to it. Like somebody will buy the rights for something and then not show it, or yeah. show it in a ridiculous manner, and as a consequence, people are left with no other option than to go and find it somewhere else. Yep. And I think that that's first of all, I think that that was a very strong and very clear point they go they go for, and I think that's quite that's quite interesting, especially the way that the, the Australian the way that the article's written, talking from an Australian point of view, he talks a lot about the fact they have limited access to the BBC and all sorts of overseas content, which I, I seem to be very flippant here for a minute. I suppose like the only Australian output I'm aware of is Neighbours, so I imagine <laughs> they probably watch a lot of import TV, so. <laughs> that that may be that may be a concern. And he talks about BBC products and stuff like that, um, which I think is fair enough. Like people, and I think the content people have to be aware of that is that in this day and age, if you're not making the content available to people in a sensible way, then people will consume the content in another way. And if if pirating that content is the only way of consuming it, then that is actually what's going to happen. Yep, and that, that's okay. fair enough. Yeah. Um, two points that I probably worked when I was first the, the use of the term piracy. So they, he, there's a good argument that says that the language itself is just is it serves a particular cause, I suppose. It it conjures up a certain idea which is perhaps not in line with what's actually being referred to. So the idea of they give the example of you know pirates on the high sea taking over ships and stealing gold. Well, if you steal someone's gold, then you have that gold and they cannot spend that gold. If you make a copy of somebody's digital content, then they still have that digital content and they're still able to sell it to anyone who wants to pay for it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's just the, that's a point that's made in there. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? That, 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 that's very true. Yeah. So it's while it's theft, while while you can obviously argue that it is theft of some sorts, it's theft without negative impact to the stolen item, rather to the revenue generatable from the stolen item. Yep, the best they can claim is devaluation of their product. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's uh, I, I think that's an important point. I, I always I actually think that piracy like referring to it as piracy and talking about that is actually I actually find 
I think it's really funny. And the reason for that is because of the fact that when I think of pirates, I think of like Captain Jack Sparrow or people like that. Yeah, the pirates are the heroes. Everyone knows that. Well, precisely. I, it always amused me. It's like, oh, it's piracy. It's so bad. It's like, well, actually, if you consider contemporary culture, with the exception of the, you know, just off the Somalian coast, pirates are generally considered to be kind of, you know, lovable rogues, heroes, and certainly good guys. So, you know, I always thought it was funny they start to refer to it as piracy and stuff like that because of all these kind of connotations, it, you know, doesn't feel like they're particularly negative to me. I think the one we should we should try and relate this back to back to our show really I feel. Oh yeah, okay. So but, audio technology and technique then. Yes. <laughs> but the, he does talk about the music industry. He commits a fairly sizable portion of the of the whole thing in the music industry. And I think the the point the key point he points out for me in that is he basically says the music industry went first in this dispute because of practical reasons it was easy to pirate a music file. It was easy to pirate music a lot earlier than it was anything else. Bandwidth requirements, ripping requirements, processing, all that sort of stuff. It was much yep. earlier. And he does kind of point out that the music industry made a complete another hash of it. <laughs> and and proceeds to go through the you know go through the fact it's like you can't you can't beat this back. You you're not going to like prevent it from happening. And then if you try and do silly things like DRM based solutions, you're going to find that doesn't work either. And then he points out the classic moments where you know. He has the media player, Windows Media Player classic one, where if something went wrong with your computer and you replaced the part of the computer because it had gone wrong, you then lost the ability to play everything you'd legitimately bought. Yep. And hence it was like, well, why would I want to legitimately buy things under this system where I can just acquire them free of charge and know they will always work? Let's say, I mean, if you buy a laptop that's got a life expectancy of two or three years, you, then you buy digital music on that thing, then you get a new laptop. You know, even you know, you why? Yes, yes. Indeed. Windows Media win. Um, awesome. Win. We should say no more on this article. It's an awesome article. You can go check it out. Um, so well, I think we, it's we can, well written, and we can link it through. So we've we looped it back to the, to oh, the music and and the MP3. I guess is like the icon of of music copying, and yes. the uh, an icon of MP3 playing is. The iPod. And the original is, iPod? Is now 10 years old. 10 years old. How incredible is that? Older um, than Facebook. Older than YouTube. It, it's <laughs> ace, isn't it? Oh, I, I think this is fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm sure for most of our listeners, this will not have escaped them, this fact is coming. Everybody is doing co like loads of bits about it. Um, Arts Technica had a really awesome re-review. <laughs> I, I really enjoy their re-reviews. Re I think they're really interesting, so... I've decided to just put the link to the uh, Arts Technica re-review of the original iPod. Um, I think, yeah, and it's just fun, isn't it? I'm saying, let's face it, you, the original iPod kind of defined the whole thing. Prior to that, we had a collection of badly made, nasty, poor quality things, <laughs> which didn't really do the job very well. And then, you know, Apple came in and slammed this thing down. And it was like, you know, just in case you were wondering, here's your... Uh, mp3 player which is actually good and, and it was i think yep i'm trying to think you know I, I 10 years ago when was that that was 2001 so we're talking it's pretty yeah, okay. itunes isn't it is it not pretty itunes possibly it's kind of we're into it's we're around all, then we're kind of into the almost at napster age napster was kind of on its way out by then it's well it might have gone by then by 2000 actually itunes must have existed i think but I think it's like, it was around about then, wasn't it? iTunes came mm -hmm. out at the same time. 
You notice it has a Firewire port on it. Yeah. I still, I don't think it's quite 10 years old, but I, um, I have a Firewire cable, which is the one that came with an iPod. <laughs> I actually found that to be really interesting because the review goes on and he talks about it and he points out the fact he can still use it and obviously it has a it has a fairly paltry capacity, you know, it's like a 4 or 5 gig and it's actually a physical spinning hard drive which is obviously crazy if you think about it. In your pocket. But, well, but he does point out the fact you can use it. Boom. It still yeah. works. Yeah. You, you can just plug it in and still use it and all is good with the exception of the fact that you need to be able to plug it into a Firewire port and uh, they're not so plentiful now. <laughs> well, sorry, so you just convert it to Firebot to Thunderbolt, surely. <laughs> With the imaginary cable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's facing it. <laughs> as long as you don't need to have a computer screen plugged in at the same time. Well, hang on, what? Anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's just keep going. But, well, this is an awesome, it's, it's a fun review. I think it's fun that we note that 10 years is. Ten years has passed. Um, for that, there, I think also it shows you. If I put my educator hat on just for one moment here, it it makes me realise how irrelevant the tape references, which litter our kind of door systems, now are. Yes. Because I I grew up with a Sony Walkman. I had a cassette Walkman, which I used to play with, and you know my, I had one where it didn't even rewind; it only fast forwarded, and you had to like if you wanted to go back, you had to. Take the tape out, turn it round, fast forward. Except you wouldn't do that because it wouldn't. You, it's, it's only got a triple A battery in there, maybe two, and you know it's that'll wear it down. So the best thing to do is take your tape out, put it on a pencil, and spin it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was the other approach, wasn't it? Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, we, yeah, you know, we come in an age where that was, you know, we we grew up in an age where those were the concerns. Where it's like clearly now everybody coming into the bottom end of the industry is going to be digital all the way, like. You know, they know what CDs are, but even CDs are, I think, are starting to become irrelevant as well. I think that's interesting for the door world because if you consider with Personas, Personas Studio One version two, and with Pro Tools, the new Pro Tools Ten, they all still have a tape transport system in them. They do, but I think so. Going back to the um, second story of the show, the ARA is a move away from linearity. It's saying don't let the plugins just get what's happening now, as if you've got tape going past the playhead we we don't need to think about music in terms of just now and processing what's going on right this instant as if it's an electrical current we can look at the entire thing and treat it in non-linear ways yeah which is far more far more exciting there's so much potential there which is barely being tapped into yeah i agree i think that's a can I take this opportunity to throw in a really kind of tenuous thing that's been bugging me for a long time? It doesn't bug me, it kind of like preoccupies me a lot. It's, it's, it's to do with the circle and how the iPod interfaces the circle in there. Okay, and but I'm going to ask you to, to move us into the plunder at the same time. Okay, um, oh, I, I've loaded the plunder, I haven't watched it, I don't know what it's about. No, keep going, so it's then, fine, it's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be really quick then. So, so recorded music, so recorded sound. Um, this. Well, the very the first famous one is Edison's um, phono, um, phonograph. Who was the phonograph? Wasn't it? Yeah, because you got the okay. phonograph is the oldest one. Go to firstsounds.org to find out about the earliest recordings, and then you've got the gramophone. Gramophone records, round discs, and you still get vinyl records that are basically exactly the same as gramophone records. Okay. 150 years later or whatever. Um, so, so sound is recorded and it's round. It spins around. 
then you you can kind of the small stuff, but you can jump to tape and you say you think we think about tape as being linear, but how is it stored? It's coiled up as a circle. And if you've got even the cassette tape, you can see how far you are through. You've got two circles. That says how much time has passed, and that says how much time is left, just okay. by how big the circle is. Yeah. And then CDs, obviously, they're round. Yeah. And then, so what's the next step? Is digital music? You know, you and what's the most iconic MP3 player? Is the iPod? And what's the interface? It's round. Yep. That's it. Tenuous circle thing to do with sound ranted. Awesome stuff. Plundering then. So plundering pirates <laughs> who are, and also, and also, our plunder item is actually all about the urban environment where you might be listening to your iPod. Uh huh. Got lots of options here. So. Uh, this plunder, it's actually fairly recent, but I wanted to put it in, but it really couldn't go anywhere but plunder, so I just whacked it in the plunder. But um, it's a it's a cool Vimeo video about a project about urban crickets. And basically what the guy's doing is um, taking inspiration from the situation where you see a pair of shoes thrown over an overhead cable. Yep. He is uh, putting um, little speakers, which are solar-powered, and you throw them over things, and they then make kind of acute sounds. Kind of from there. And that's what it's about. That's awesome. I, th I thought it was a great idea, and the video is really well done. And it looks really interesting. The sounds are quite quite interesting as well. And, and I, I thought our listeners would enjoy it, so you know, I wanted to put it in there. And they can find it in the, sh the show notes as always, yeah. which is cool. We, we should really tell people where the show notes are, Sam, I I've mentioned it once. I'll say it again. wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk and if you want to complain about anything, then that's fine. Um, at the Audio Podcast is our Twitter, or you could email us show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. It's always cool. And um, if you've been using any of the stuff that we've talked about, or anything else that we should talk about, then let us know about that too. We're always open to suggestions and comments and insightful things. Yeah, that's cool. If people are going to comment about stuff today, you've just had the Audio Podcast logo for the whole show because of sensibility meltdown here basically <laughs> but if you've actually found that to be fine then that'd be nice to know as well because then we maybe could just abandon doing cameras which might be nice as well yeah it'd certainly be it less would. hassle wouldn't it it would but i think it's yeah i don't know there we go but still have the real-time option for... yeah because it's nice to be able to chat here and though actually having said that i don't know about you but I've, i haven't looked at the chat room once actually <laughs> no <laughs> oh well <laughs> let's not even look at it and then we don't need to feel guilty Hey! Yay! <laughs> Sorry if you're in there. Hey, if you've said something and we've missed it, you'll just have to email us. Yeah, email, but you can be offensive <laughs> with your email and tell us that we ignored you. That's fine. Yep. We'll apologize next week on air. <laughs> All right, then. Sam, I think we've hit it to the end of the show. Excellent. Indeed. Um, yeah, so let, let's say bye for the recording. So let's do that. So bye. Hey, good, goodbye, podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs>